and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. I'm an editor here at Gestalt IT. Joining me to my right and now always next to my heart is, of course, the one, the only, Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Rich, it's great to be here, and it's great to have you here. We're here. We are in the same physical space. We're joined by the big red wall. Physical space. Look at that wall. That wall is, is just gorgeous. It truly is. And also gorgeous is one of my favorite segments we do on the show. It's a little something we like to call news or nah. A lot of news comes out every week. Sometimes we can't cover it all in quite a discussion detail length, uh, but I want to get Steven's take here on whether something is news or not, and a one-sentence rebuttal is allowed. Uh, First up here, uh, a federal claims court senior judge dismissed Oracle's complaint that uh, the awarding of the $10 billion Jedi Pentagon cloud project violated federal procurement laws and was awarded with conflicts of interest. Supposedly, there was someone that had worked for Amazon, had been part of the Pentagon uh, process, and then has since gone back to work for Amazon. The judge said Oracle could not demonstrate the former, uh, indicating the conflict of interest, and that it didn't really meet the criteria to bid in the first place. So stop your whining. Uh, news or not nah here, Stephen? Um, I I got to say nah. I mean, I, I, raise your hand if you thought Oracle was going to win this anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like maybe they were hoping for some sort of scraps or some sort of uh, mandate that they would have to split this contract to more than one vendor, but that doesn't look like it's going to I really feel like this lawsuit was Oracle's best chance of getting this business. Um so, and I mean, it works for Boeing and companies like that. So why not? Why not for Oracle? Yeah. Uh, next up here, uh, ARM launched Flexible Access, a new licensing model designed to help startups get easier access to ARM's intellectual properties uh, without upfront licensing costs. Previously, the only way to access ARM's IP was to select products you wanted from the, and license them upfront. Flexible Access terms now allow partners to get access to the IP and only pay per unit royalty fee once they go into production, uh, changing up their licensing for ARM. News or not here, Stephen? I think this could be news. Uh, it depends on what we see come out of it. I mean, ARM is... Uh, undoubtedly the uh, the big challenger for uh, instruction set and um, if this means that we see more creative clever interesting arm chips out there from uh, you know smaller companies and third parties I think this could be exciting but uh, for now bleh. well and you know it's interesting that this comes out right as they're potentially losing a big licensee uh, in the form of Huawei, so maybe trying to expand their customer base oh, as well. Oh, wow, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about that. Next up here, in uh, seeming effort to be used by less people, Facebook Workplace announced it will raise prices as of September 2nd. The free Workplace Essential tier will remain, so you, you know, free people, I, I guess the five of you that are using that, congratulations, but paid tiers are charging, are going from a flat fee of $3 per user, and now they're adding uh, new tiers. One is called Workplace Advanced. That'll cost $4 per user, and it seems like that's going to just be an exact replica just with a a slight price increase. And then there is Workplace Enterprise, which will cost $8 per user per month while offering quicker support guarantees and early access to new features. Pretty typical enterprise uh, service kind of agreements there. Uh, Also, frontline employees, notably, will only cost $1.50 on paid tiers. So people that are cashiers and stuff like that that don't necessarily working back of house will only use this maybe in a more ancillary fashion uh getting access to that at a much lower price workplace changes news or not here steven what is this thing again (laughs) no it's funny i actually talked to company uh somebody who works for a company that uses this Mm -hmm. and they said nobody uses it and we hate it it really it really reminds me of like google hangouts that where you know Google was like, hey, we're going to make this an enterprise thing. It was like a teleconferencing thing. Now it's going to be this enterprise. You know, mm-hmm. you have your groups and stuff like that. And I, I actually used to work for an educational institution that they still kind of use. Like they they 
opted into it with G Suite, but it was just something that was there and no one ever used. And I feel like that's the exact same thing with Workplace. Supposedly they have two million uh, active users. I don't know what that is. Also notable about this is that this pricing is not per active user. So it's just per user. So if you don't use it for a month, Facebook will still charge you, which tells you that not a lot of people are using it. Yeah, I'm going to go with nah. All right, uh, CNBC reports the previous acquisition talks between Symantec and Broadcom have stopped, according to sources. The hang-up appears to be that Symantec will not accept an offer less than $28 a share. It appears Broadcom lowered their initial offering after uh, they did their due diligence. So they looked at some of the financials and were like, Yeah, that's not so good. 2815, uh, not going to work. Broadcom acquiring less software here, Stephen. News or not? Now, this could just be a negotiating tactic. I mean, um, who knows? This time next week, we might be saying, oh, yeah, they decided to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Who cares? Well, I, I mean, I think it's interesting from a viability standpoint that Broadcom feels like they need to make these pretty substantial uh, software acquisitions, you know, uh, acquiring CA Technologies last year. Now looking at Symantec, they were uh, also looking at an enterprise infrastructure uh, startup, or not startup, uh, company. I don't recall the name now. It was mentioned in the story links if you look at our show notes. Um, so they're very seriously looking into the software market, So, but also not willing to sell the farm, I guess, to get there if it's not a good business deal. Yeah, frankly, that's uh, good for them. If they're not willing to pay, overpay for something that, the you know, then, then that's great. Yeah. Um, shows uh, smart management. All right, and finally here on News or Nah, um, Microsoft uh, announced a multi-year deal with AT&T worth about $2 billion. AT&T will move to micro, or Microsoft 365 services and will adopt Azure infrastructure. The deal will also have the two companies working together on 5G development. News or Nah here, Stephen? I like this. Yes. Um, honestly, Azure has been growing. Azure has been doing great stuff. And... Uh, they just landed a five billion dollar no sorry two billion dollar yeah, uh, customer i mean wow that's pretty cool um no i'm i'm definitely uh, pro azure yeah and you know I think for a, a while, maybe the perception was, hey, if you're a competitor of Amazon, you don't want to give them money, maybe go to Azure. But they've really, st I mean, one, Microsoft has taken a very cloud forward stance. It's not a secret to anybody. But two, not just a being the alternative, making a, a real use case for themselves. And this clearly demonstrates that yeah. as well. Also, there's a lot more in going on in 5G than I realized. I'm just uh, a little aside here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I went to Dell Technologies World and HPE Discover this year. Um, uh, they paid my way. And um, <laughs> I, I'm supposed to say that. I mean, FTC, you know? Hashtag sponsored. Hashtag sponsored. Um, anyway, uh, one of the things that I learned at these events, because my kind of going in was like, dude, what does Dell and HP have to do with 5G? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a lot more than the radios. And in fact, there's going to be a lot of compute, um, a lot of data center work going on there. And I think that that's going to be a big angle here because we're going to hear about it as 5G and we're going to say, well, what does that have to do with computing? There's a lot of computing going on. Yeah, I was surprised to see that with the with the Microsoft deal, like mention, mention that in the Microsoft deal because they're not usually thrown out there with that. So, yeah. so very interesting as well. Uh, first up on our discussion here, you know, we had kind of mentioned a survey of uh, CIOs la or last week uh, talking about that Microsoft Teams seems to be getting a lot of traction. And then Microsoft actually came out and revealed that its Teams messaging platform uh, Microsoft Teams, has 13 million daily active users and 19 million weekly active users, uh, aka people that just log in, I guess, once a week. Slackers, you should be ashamed of yourself. It's the first time they're really reporting these numbers. Uh, it appears to surpass their uh, their competitor, Slack, which reportedly had, or not reportedly, which reported 
10 million daily active users in its S1 filing with the SCC back in April. That's the document they have to file before they go public, so they that has to be accurate, right? Uh, Microsoft bundles their teams as part of Office 365 subscriptions for businesses, while Slack revealed in its S1 filing that 88,000 organizations use their paid tier, which sounds, I guess, fine. Uh, but when you look at it, they have almost 600,000 organizations that use their service, and the vast majority of them are just on the free tier. Uh, you know, one, surprised to see Microsoft Teams, really only a three-year-old product, surpassing Slack, which I think is seen as a leader, or has been seen as a leader and an innovator in this space. And two, is Slack getting a Snapchatted here? Well, <clears throat> I think it's uh, indefinite or uh, undoubtedly true that Slack is getting Snapchatted here. That uh, that Microsoft is after them with a bullet. And also, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound all like DOJ in the '90s, but uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, Microsoft has a lot of market clout, and they have a lot of ability to push people toward their products. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I know people who are using Teams and love it. So it's kind of the contrast to the Facebook story a few yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've had uh, so. Uh, Disclaimer, you know, we here at Gestalt IT are big, uh, are one of the paying Slack customers. We use it um, quite a lot. You're welcome, Slack. Um, our other, uh, some of the other organizations that we work with um, in this kind of enterprise IT influencer analyst space are Teams users, and they love it just as much. And so I think that there's uh, basically there's a, a horse race starting here, and I think Microsoft deserves a lot of credit for putting together a product that people like. Yeah, and I always say this, Microsoft doesn't get a lot of things. Whenever Microsoft comes out with a mobile product, I'm never going to trust that. It's going to probably be horrible. I kind of almost don't trust them on an OS front. Like They're like a 50-50 shot when it comes to OS. It's either brilliant or it's horrible. Uh, productivity? Don't mess with my, like Microsoft gets that. So yes, rolling it into Office 365 is a canny, almost old school Microsoft move, yeah, right? But, but Office 365 it. itself was a brilliant move. Yes. So. And, yeah, and, and so like... That is a canny move to bundle it in, but getting if the numbers were three million daily active users and nineteen million weekly active users, I would say it's like Facebook. It's like Facebook Workplace, where it's a bunch of people that have it but don't really use it, and maybe only use yeah. it for like an HR board. Um, seeing that there are all of these daily active users, very impressive. I still think there's a definite avenue for Slack here, and I, I think their business model still can work in that they make it super easy to get on board with their service for free, make that very functional product, and then get you to pay for it later on. I still think that's a viable business model for them. And I think there's still some entrenched re um, um, resistance to Microsoft products um, still. Yeah. Again, some trans uh, resistance. People, There are people who don't want to use the Microsoft product, yeah. and so they won't. Exactly. And yeah, and who's to say, you know, somewhere down the line, they don't make a partnership with, hey, maybe uh, uh, Amazon uh, decides to buy them down the line and all of a sudden I would not be at all shocked if Although Slack I don't know, I don't know how the financials with how the financials with all of their uh, investors and how that would actually work out. But we'll see. I, I've heard that Slack would be a very expensive purchase. Yes, I'm sure there's all sorts of VC funding tied up in there and shareholder blah, 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 blah. Uh, next up here, not so good news for Microsoft. The Office of Data Protection and Information Freedom in the German state of Hess. Uh, where the Hessians live, I'm told, uh, it ruled that uh, using Office 365 in schools is illegal as its default configuration risks exposing personal information of teachers and students to U.S. officials. This is a big deal because under GDPR and specifically German law, students don't have the right to basically consent to give their data away since they're minors. Um, the uh, Hess Data Privacy Commissioner, Michael Ro being a minor. Ron Ellen Feitch. Yep. I'm trying to say a difficult German name here, Stephen, and you're distracting me. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
The uh, Hessian Data Privacy Commissioner Michael Ronellenfeisch has previously what? Listen, you got I got close. Don't judge me. Had previously ruled that Office 365 use was allowed if all data remained in Germany. But, and this was the case up until 2018, but a joint venture between Microsoft and Deutsche Telekom to provide a German-only cloud shut down in 2018. Basically, they weren't making enough money. The commissioner recommended schools switch to using similar office products with on-premises licensing. Good to protect students' information, like all for that, but will this fundamentally change Microsoft's strategy in Europe, you know, in a post-GDPR world? I'm surprised they shut it down if, if this was going to be the result. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they if they were smart enough to open a German uh, cloud to host data like this for use cases like this, I'm surprised that they were willing to then get out of it because uh, however unprofitable it is, I absolutely can understand, uh, especially uh, countries in Europe. I, I uh, used to work for a Swiss bank, mm-hmm. and they were extremely careful about uh, location of data and exfiltrating data from the boundaries of the nation. Um, you know, I was, I helped a Swiss telecom company set up a uh, cloud, a proto cloud, pre cloud, <laughs> uh, 15 years ago before there really was a cloud. But I mean, we set up uh, basically the equivalent um, in Switzerland. So just for this exact reason, because mm-hmm it would not have done to have the data get out. And with the GDPR and with other European regulations, I absolutely can understand Germans saying this. Uh, frankly, I am uh, with them as well on the idea of um, having you know data in the cloud, especially miners data. Um, you know, here in the U.S., a lot of school districts, <coughs> this one, um, <laughs> do indeed use uh, Google Suite uh, and have... Um, you know, kids using Chromebooks and storing data in the cloud, and I am intensely uncomfortable with that. I uh, so I, I'm I'm standing with the Germans on this one. I feel like uh, they are making absolutely the right decision, and and I am shocked that Microsoft doesn't have a good answer for it. Well, and. There was a story a couple of weeks ago that may have some interesting policy implications because it was reported that uh, U.S. officials had informed uh, um, uh, data ministers in India, I forget the exact agency, that basically they were going to start limiting H-1B visas to countries that have strict data locality requirements and kind of using that as uh, you know a blunt force object to kind of force people into uh, you know essentially having more uh, U.S. friendly data policies. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we possibly see that coming toward, uh, you know, Germany. Down, you know, I, I mean, this is one instance. This is not across Germany. This is just in one German state. But it's an interpretation of their laws that, uh, you know, seemingly would be uh, is not out of the realm of reasonable interpretation. Yeah, it could spread. And, you know, maybe, well, maybe they'll reopen their German Azure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we will see. I mean, yeah, maybe just be another thing of, you know, hey, Deutsche Telekom, here's bags of money. Yeah. Uh, please reopen this. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of bags of money, sources tell the Wall Street Journal that the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the old FTC, voted this week to approve a roughly $5 billion settlement with Facebook over an investigation into the tech giant's privacy violations. The vote was reportedly three to two, with two of the commissioners uh, voting against, wanting stricter restrictions on Facebook. So not against the fine, just against the severity of it. The settlement uh, would need approval from the Justice Department before going into effect. uh, But essentially, that's a rubber stamp kind of situation, at least conventionally in, in the current policy climate, who 
knows what common sense things will become difficult. Um, the fine would be the largest uh, for the federal government to levy on a tech company, vastly exceeding the laughable $22 million fine they assessed to Google in 2012. In its Q1 earnings report, to give some context of how this fits into Facebook's financials, Facebook recorded $15.08 billion in revenue and recorded a $3 billion charge for a then-estimated FTC fine. So they you know, basically paid over half of this, accounted for paying half of this already, and theoretically won't impact their uh, earnings per share all that negatively in the next quarter. They could even spread that out probably to two quarters. I don't know what you know accounting chicanery you need to do there. Um, in light of this... We, we haven't seen any part of – we haven't seen the full settlement. Let's just be clear on this. This is still being reported. I, I trust the Wall Street Journal reporting this. Um, we haven't heard if there's going to be any kind of further sanctions against Facebook. Clear. I, I don't think there's going to be any policy shakeup in terms of you know uh, divesting parts of Facebook. Certainly is off the table as, as part of the settlement. Um, I don't think there's going to be any structural changes in terms of removing Mark Zuckerberg or anything like that. How does this signal – any kind of change in how the U.S. wants to regulate privacy for these big tech companies, Stephen? It doesn't. <laughs> is it, I mean, $5 billion that was a very short answer to $5 a very billion dollars is not an insubstantial amount of money, right? That's yeah. that's 10% of the uh, Facebook's revenue to, you know, for the last four quarters. It, it, indeed. And that's the interesting thing is that the take on this is, ha ha, we got away. That's actually kind of a lot of money. That, I mean, it's even a lot of money for Facebook. Yeah. Um, it's maybe not enough to cause them to change their behavior, mm-hmm. um, but it's quite a lot of money, and um, and it's interesting to see that the like for example their stock price went up when this was announced. Well, because I, I think people were thinking, is you know is Zuckerberg going to be out or or be forced to divest some uh, you know some control of yeah. the board or something like that, and not seeing that and basically seeing that they've already accounted for the vast majority of this fine. I think people were like, oh okay, that's you know yeah. uh, what is it. Um, Buy on the rumor, sell on the news? I forget. Yes, how exactly. Works. Exactly. Yeah. Buy on so the, the rumor, opposite sell on the news. No, I, I think that the interesting aspect here is that uh, regardless of the size of the fine, um, mm-hmm. that what people were really looking for was an actual structural change to Facebook, mm-hmm. and they didn't get it. Instead, they got a fine. Mm-hmm. Now, we can argue whether that's a big fine or a little fine. But the bottom line is um, they're not going to change. But given that this is, what, 200 times the amount that Google paid seven years ago, (laughs) does this signal that at least – even if we're not going to force big tech to change policy – you know, to to change structurally, that will at least – I don't know – will hit them a little harder for violations like this going forward. I will say this, the reason this fine is so large, I think is because this violates a previous 2011 FTC investigation yeah, to consent degree by Facebook. Um, so there, you know, there was some prior precedent that they still didn't change their ways eight years later. And that maybe is why this fine is so large, but you know, it does kind of set a, a precedent for how theoretically the FTC might find privacy violations in the future. Yeah, and and frankly, it would be a big precedent because not everybody's Facebook. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, think of all the other. Uh, I, I'm a big, you know, have I been pwned? Uh, I get email from them constantly, and um, <laughs> you know, imagine if the FTC fined some of those companies a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big deal. That would certainly be a big deal, or ten percent of their their revenue, or ten percent of their revenue. I mean, yeah, it would put some of those companies out of business. So, yeah, I feel like it it it, it could set a precedent, and it could set. Uh, an important and strong precedent, but for now, eh. 
<laughs> All right, next up here, uh, Amazon announced it plans to spend $700 million to retrain 100,000 U.S. employees by 2025. It's about a third of their overall uh, U.S. workforce. Retraining will be offered to employees in corporate offices, tech hubs, fulfillment centers, retail stores, and transportation network, you know, pretty much across uh, all of the big uh, employment centers for Amazon. The Wall Street Journal cited examples like fulfillment center workers trained as IT support and corporate office workers trained in software engineering, but it also has uh, nursing and aircraft mechanic training as well. Amazon says it's designed uh, the retraining program around the needs of its own workforce, but participation in the program does not require you to stay working at Amazon. Uh, it's also founding its own accredited school specifically for machine learning to be part of this program. Uh, its fastest growing job areas include data mapping, uh, data mapping specialists, data scientists, solutions architect, and security engineers, you know, kind of some of the people that'd be maybe interested in reading Gestalt IT, so 100,000 new readers would be nice. Yeah. Uh, Amazon is uh, trying to, is this, I guess, in my thinking of this, is this Amazon trying to avoid layoffs of unskilled labor once all of their you know automation hits in a couple of years? Or is this maybe a recognition that these jobs are the key to their future profitability i.e. things like Amazon Web Services and not shipping 99-cent power dongles to people? I am really not sure what they're doing here. I think that the, 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 the bottom line is that Amazon is being pretty smart here, mm -hmm. doing something interesting, doing something different. I mean, there's different takes. Um, you know, my first take on seeing this story was that they're, it's a CYA uh, against a big fine from, or an attack from you know, the right um, on Amazon basically laying off all sorts of warehouse workers or something yeah, like that. I mean, I mean, it seems to me like they're trying to be ready to not look like terrible people when robots take all of our jobs. Or when there's the story next week that they are investing $2 billion in automation technology or something like that yeah. to displace all of, you know, to displace a large amount of their workforce. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm looking at here. And, 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 and so... But that's kind of being cynical. Uh, the non-cynical approach, well, and even <laughs> honestly, the cynical, even the realistic approach is to look at it and say, well, gosh, this is pretty awesome. I'm glad that they're, you know, focusing on retraining instead of just, you know, basically, um, you know, bringing in the robots and then leaving them on the street. Uh, any surprise to see, I mean, security, data scientists, uh, machine learning specialists, yeah. you know, pretty... Uh, Representative, I think, of where we're seeing a lot of the jobs uh, in uh, in IT coming from, you know, a lot of the new jobs, at least, coming from, at least. So, you know, kind of emerging fields, not even necessarily just plugging them into, okay, fix the printer driver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. These are not, um, yeah, the printer's on fire kind yeah. of jobs. And that's, and that's actually really cool. I wonder if they'll be able to do it. Um, I wonder if this is something that people will be interested in. I mean, there have been some pushback sometimes on job retraining programs when, um, you know, companies propose retraining into areas that people just frankly aren't interested in. Um, but hopefully there's a variety of topics here that people might want to actually get into. Yeah. And I, I will say um, there has been I've heard some criticism of this, that Amazon is getting credit because of the scale of this, because if you actually divide out the amount of money that they're investing in the number of employees, it actually falls slightly below average corporate retraining Oops. amounts. And it's like the fact that you can say it's seven hundred million dollars for one hundred thousand employees. That's a great headline. Um, but also, Amazon, I think, has a larger proportion of relatively unskilled labor in their workforce. And so, you know, even that investment, I think, is not to give them too much credit, but goes a long way, yeah. is all I'm saying. Yeah.
Uh, and finally, I want to finish up on this. Uh, we had reported last week about the whole um, Zoom issue that they were having, security issue they were having. Uh, and after the disclosure of Zoom's security vulnerability last week, security researcher Karen Lyons found that some uh, exploits affected Ring Central, which is just a white box version of Zoom that 350,000 businesses use, and the Chinese version Zumu. This is a vulnerability that installed a local host web server that allows a maliciously crafted URL to automatically make users join a call with video and microphone enabled and could be embedded into a web page. It also had this really great feature where if you if you had previously had the Zoom app installed and you didn't have it installed, it would reinstall it and not tell you, which is amazing. Uh, Apple confirmed yesterday that they have rolled out another silent update to basically kill this and remove the local host web server from there. The functionality won't be disrupted. You'll just have to click through to formally join into a web conference, which is kind of how it should have worked to begin with. Zoom has earned a lot of goodwill kind of up until this point, I think, especially uh, with the IT crowd of being the least hateable, uh, you know, web conferencing, teleconferencing solution. How bad is this for the company? And do we need to reevaluate the convenience versus security equation in web conferencing, Stephen? Uh, well, first, web, conference, web conferencing is terrible. Yes. All um, web conferencing is terrible. Well, Zoom maybe was the least terrible. Zoom terrible. was less terrible. Yeah. Uh, well, we use Uber <laughs> conference. I don't yeah. know. It's non-terrible, but mm. it's not widely used. Um the, the the truth is that, um, well, I, I'm going to go back to uh, John Gruber's been talking about this. His term, uh, non-consensual software. Um, <laughs> that's not bad. Is, I, I, it's totally exact. That's what this is. I mean, essentially what we've done is, um, you know, they, 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 the Zoom left a piece of non-consensual software on your computer that you didn't know about, that you didn't want, and that could do terrible things. And um, one of the questions posed to him and to all of us is, is Apple's response to that more non-consensual software? Yeah, I, th that's the only problem, I think. A not even a problem, because it's kind of been not rumored it's been reported that apple has this ability to roll out for like zero day exploits and, and they've stuff done like it that. before yeah they've done it before they've just never come out and said that they've done it before this is significant that they come out now twice in basically two weeks i think because of the popularity of these apps and come out and said uh we killed this it's not a problem um I also feel like, though, when you're buying into the – even though uh, Mac OS is a open system and that you can just install software on it, you know, Apple – anything when you're buying into Apple, you're also buying into either the walled garden or the gilded cage. You can call it either one, you know, depending on how cynical you want to be or, or how negatively you want to look at that model. Um, and so I, I guess I'm not surprised that they kind of retain this ability still – even though I trust I trust Apple relatively with this, it's in their best interest, right, not to do this um, and do it poorly or do it maliciously or, you know, do it for any other reason than to keep users happy, right? Uh, it's still concerning. I don't have to worry about that on Windows, I guess is what I'm saying. Although I guess Windows just installs updates willy-nilly now. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Microsoft this, can do the this. same thing. <laughs> they can push out a software a software fix for something like this as this well. This is true. Well, and they would just roll it into, you know, the, your weekly Windows 10 update that yeah. is always sitting there in your dock. And Apple could very well have done that. Uh, frankly, my my opinion. So I, I had the Zoom client installed. I had the web, the web server. Mm -hmm. I read the paper and removed it from my own machine. I'm actually really glad to know that it's been removed from everybody's machines because basically everybody in our office, I mean, I, I imagine that you've probably installed the Zoom client yes, at some point. Yes. I know that the rest of the folks have. And frankly, it would have been a big hassle for us to go through and, and remove it from all those things. Um, so I'm OK with it. Um, or, but, I, you know, I, I see gray area here. There is there could be a slippery slope. What if Apple 
What if Apple decided to push out a fix that disabled uh, Amazon Music or whatever? Or the, you know, or the Chinese government says, "Hey, roll," you know, kill this functionality of this private encrypted messaging app that runs on Mac. You know, the, you know, again, or, that's wholly theoretical. Or the U.S. government. Or if the you know X government decides that they can figure out how to you know, pretend to be Apple and roll out a uh, silent fix, yes, yes. A fix on your machine that does stuff. I mean, it 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 could happen. And Stephen, that is a depressing note, and that is exactly how I want to end the Gestalt IT rundown for this week. Uh, thank you so much for being on, Stephen. Always a pleasure to be in Meet Space with someone and be doing a show. Uh, sure, Meet Space. Meet Space, yes, IRL. Ah, IRL. Stephen, if people are fi- interested in finding out more about you and what you're up to, where can they look? Um, they could look right here. I'm, I'm. I'm just to the right of you, or left of you, whatever. Um, Stephen, I think you know what I meant. Yeah, I know what you meant. You can find me on Twitter at sfoskit. You can also find me at gestaltit.com at your favorite Tech Field Day videos. Um, I'll be participating in uh, all sorts of other things, too. You'll find me on Thwack Camp with SolarWinds. You'll find me oh, at cool. uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can... All sorts of good places. And you can find uh, me on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology. You can find me at gestaltit.com and probably other places with those relatively same handles. So until the next time we meet, which is Wednesdays, 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, remember, everybody, have a super sparkly day.